And they go to the vendor thinking the vendor is an expert. And then the vendor, of course, disappoints them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 309 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, innovators, and entrepreneurs, and everyone who wants to have better, more successful products in the market. I am your host, Nels Davis, as always. And as you may know, I do a weekly live video cast on YouTube on Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. This podcast episode is the audio of one of those live videos. I have found they make good podcasts, despite the fact that you can't see the visuals, and this one does have some visuals. But I put a link to the original video in the show notes so you can check it out if you feel like you're missing anything. I don't think you will be. One of the challenges of all of us knowledge workers like product managers and marketers and salespeople is that we have to think and know stuff all the time. So big drain on the brain. And sometimes our feeble human brains do forget things that we once knew and we don't learn how to do something we should have learned and we have other failings. And sometimes we just used up all of our cognitive capacity by noon. I don't know if that happens to you. And I think our tools should do a better job of helping us in these situations. In fact, I'd like my tools to know stuff that I don't know, so I don't have to fill my head with yet more knowledge about something that is peripheral to my job, or even maybe directly part of my job, but I don't want to have to yet another way to drain my cognitive capacity. So I've talked about this idea of putting knowledge into my tools on the blog a few times. I might even have another podcast episode from way back in the day. I'll put links to all these things in the show notes, but... Since change has not happened since I first started talking about it, I'm just going to keep harping on it, like in this podcast. Now, if this episode makes you think, gives you something you can start using to make your product better or otherwise seems valuable, please consider sharing it with other product managers or interested people. You can click the like button on the episode or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. These actions help other folks discover the episode and the podcast and increase the listenership and hopefully spread these ideas around. Now, if you have comments or thoughts or complaints or further insights for me, I do love to get your comments and feedback. You can go to alltheresponsibility.com slash 309 for the show notes and to leave a message. You can leave a comment by voicemail. There's a little widget there to do that. Or you can leave a regular comment by typing. That's it for the setup. Let's get started. You probably have heard of this phrase, don't make me think. It was popularized by a guy named Steve Krug in a book uh, that he called that same thing. And I think it's a really valuable and it's been very valuable for product managers to take this concept and apply it to products. But there's other things that we need to think about, particularly when we do products that are related that are meant to help knowledge workers be more effective. And of course, what, what do we do as product management? Well, product managers, we are knowledge workers. And so it's, it's something that really applies to us. I mentioned this book, Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug. And you know, if you look at the blurb on Amazon, it's the, the guide to understanding the principles of intuitive design and, and stuff. It's a, it's a very enjoyable book. It's very fun. And the, the, the goal is when you're designing things for usability and, and for usage, you don't want to make people think about how to use the tool to get the thing that they're trying to do done. There's lots of ways to achieve this. And one of the things that 
I like to think about doing is another aspect of Don't Make Me Think, which is actually a little bit different, and that is Help Me Think Better. Now, as I mentioned, we're all, we all do this, um, you know, we all do knowledge-based stuff. We're all knowledge workers. And so it's really important for us to make sure that our thinking is clear and good and stuff. And if we forget particular things that we need to be applying as part of our knowledge, it can become a problem. And it can be, it can be a very simple kind of thing. And I'll give you an example in a, in a moment. Uh, it's something that is within the, <laughs> the product management domain, really. And so it's something that I ex- experience all the time. Helping me think better, I think it's something that people are not crying out. They're just suffering. They're suffering in silence. The point is, there are these opportunities to improve the situations. There's so many aspects to what I do. Like as a product manager, just think about writing a requirement or having a conversation about uh, a new feature and all the different things you really need to bring into consideration as you do that in order to be efficient. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I forget those things, some of them, and then I have to go backtrack or I have to go discover something new that I didn't, had forgotten to discover. And of course, I'm a big brain person, like all of us product managers are, but there are still things that get where if I'd had some guidance or a template, and of course I have created my own templates to help me solve this problem, I would be more effective. And so one of the things I always look at products for is to see, well, are they helping, are the products helping the users be more effective at doing the thing they're trying to achieve? And I'll talk a little bit about a characterization about that in a minute. I've got all these things I'm going to talk about in a minute. There's many, many topics to cover here. In fact, we may, I may forget some of them. I also know that other people are facing this same kind of challenge. And how do I know that? Well, here's a good example. As a product manager, of course, I see a lot of bug reports. And one of the things that I see in bug reports is that they're not very well structured. They don't have all the information that I need. And I always need the same amount of the same information every time. What information is it that I need? Well, I need to have a a description, of course. And it's actually surprising how many Bug reports don't even have a description. They just have a one-liner. But I also need to know how to reproduce this bug, or maybe I need to know that it couldn't be reproduced. That's also useful. But I need to know somebody tried, and if it can be reproduced, I need to know what those steps are. I also need to know, hey, what what did we expect to happen in this case, and what actually happened? How what What is the actual bad behavior? Now, these are four basic things, and I, as a product manager, I find I also really want to know what customers are experiencing this problem, and... How often are they experiencing it and things like that? So there's sort of some customer-level information as well. Most bug reports I get don't have this information, right, for whatever reason. Well, I can, and I'm going to tell you the reason. So there's a solution. There's a, a, a base-level solution to this problem that, that can at least make it better. And the base-level solution is a template. So that's kind of obvious, right? A template is an obvious first-level solution to a problem of helping people think better, right? The template, it, it gives people the four sections or the five sections. Describe this problem and why it's important. How did it? How did we make it happen? What did we expect to happen? What happened in, instead? And why is it important what customers are experiencing? It's very easy to put into a template. What's interesting to me about this is a very well-known bug template, and of course there's others as well. Very few bug reporting tools incorporate this template as a default, or any template. Most of them, 
they will let you say what's the severity, right? There's a, like a drop down for the severity, a drop down for the priority. But in the description section, there's just a big blank square of space. And somebody's supposed to write something useful in there and then send it to somebody else and have that become a valuable thing. Well, it's not valuable until you've had this extensive conversation. I always have to ask, how do we reproduce this? What did we expect? Every time, it's crazy to me that I have to do this. And I think that it would be much better if our bug reporting template, and so this is a, a challenge that I have at my current work, but it's not because my current work is special. It's because we use tools, which are very commonly used tools that don't give us guidance about how to do this simple stuff, right? And I think the reason this happens is because there's two reasons really. One is that these tools are written by developers because who develops software tools? Software developers. And what do software developers like to do? They like to create their own things. So they always think everybody else wants to do that. So they think that everybody else just wants to go in and create their own particular template. Well, the fact is that most people don't want to do that. Most people want to get a template from an expert and they go to the vendor thinking the vendor is an expert. And then the vendor, of course, disappoints them because they don't put, <laughs> put the information into the tool, the expert knowledge. And I'm calling this template expert knowledge because it is. If you don't know how to write a bug report well or you haven't been trained, you don't know that you need to put those things in or you may forget. And it's a very simple example, but that is knowledge. How to reproduce, what the expected results are, what the actual results are, what customers. That's knowledge. And if you give people that knowledge in a template, they're going to do a better job. And they're going to be less worried about it, too. They're going to be happier to use it, most likely, because they'll, they'll be able to just fill it in. So that's a good example to me of knowledge that people should put into a, into a product. Let's talk about the next level. So what about putting more knowledge in? Well, there is um, a lot of opportunity to put more knowledge into systems. I, I've used this example a few times, and I have a really good example in a second. Another thing that's going to happen in a moment, so hopefully you're all just on tenterhooks about <laughs> all the different things that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Well, the bug report example was one of those things that I mentioned, so just referring back to that. Anyway, there's all this knowledge in the world about how to do certain things, like, for example, project management. Hey, listeners, at this point in the video, I used a physical prop, and I talked about it a bunch, and it was really just too good to take out, so... That's what you're going to hear next. A bit of physical prop flying through the air around my camera and discussion about it. So project management. Okay, I'm going to reach across the camera here. I forgot to get my prop, but I've got a prop behind my camera, and I'm going to go grab that and hopefully not jostle the camera or anything. And I'm going to show you the knowledge that exists, some of the knowledge that exists about project management. So hang on. I'm just going to reach over here, grab this really big, heavy book. Okay. So this here, the PMBOK guide, this is the Project Management Body of Knowledge. It is created by the Project Management Institute, the PMI. And if you are a certified, uh, what do they call it? Professional Product Manager, Project Manager, that's Professional Project Manager, PMP, you can get a certification. You have to basically know what's in this book. Okay, so this book is a bunch of knowledge about how to run a project. Let's combine, let's compare what is the knowledge that's in this book to the knowledge that is in most project management tools. So I don't know if you're familiar with project management tools. I worked in that space for a while. Project management tools mostly are about lists of tasks, dependencies, Gantt charts. Okay, great stuff, very useful. Um, oh, also assignments, so people assignments. But you know what? If you look in this book, 
you find a lot of other stuff. For example, there's a whole big section in this book about how to close out a project. I wish I had marked the page. Um, and there are essentially zero tools in the market for professional project managers out of the hundreds of project management tools that are in the market that incorporate any of the guidance in here about how to close out a project. So if you are a PMP and you are using a tool, whenever, whatever tool it might be, and you're ready to close out the project and you're saying, okay, I've closed out this project, I'm gonna make the final report to my executives, I'm gonna talk about what we learned, the lessons learned, or the retrospective, I'm gonna archive it so I can access it later, I'm gonna do all those things, no tools support those, that process. Out of hundreds that I know of. And I did a little research on this to try to find them because I thought, well, that there's got to be somebody. And in fact, if you search for project management tools that support the PMBOK, or you even spell it out, whatever, you do not find any. There are no project management tools out there that say, I support the PMBOK. Unbelievable to me. The point is, there's all this knowledge out there. And so any tool in the project management space that supported even a little bit of the PMBOK. And I always think project closeout is actually a really interesting one because it's where you capture lessons learned and that's where you archive your project and all that kind of stuff. All stuff which is super painful if you don't have a methodology for doing it and not standard. And so all kinds of problems can accrue, ensue, if you haven't done that well. Low-hanging fruit, as far as I'm concerned, probably not that hard to implement, even like doing a retrospective or a lessons learned capability. In your tool, no tools do it. And I'm not saying that if a tool did that, it would suddenly become the most successful tool on the market, but it's a very specific area of differentiation that everybody's just ignoring. And then I think there's a reason for this. It's what I call the spreadsheet fallacy. It's because technologists see what people are doing in business processes. They're managing them with spreadsheets and they say, oh, I can replace that with a database, a relational database. And so they do that. They lose a lot of functionality that spreadsheets are good at, like being able to set up random things and do formulas and color cells, but they do give you multi-user and they give you a single source of truth, but they don't address a lot of the things that spreadsheets are actually terrible at, like no spreadsheet knows how to close out a project either. But the fact that people were managing projects with spreadsheets, the tool vendor said, well, I'm going to automate that part, but they didn't say I'm going to now automate the next thing. There's a lot of opportunity to put knowledge into tools that's not there. I'm going to give you a couple more examples. So I've talked about you know, pre-configured tools or processes that are based on best practices or maybe pre-made scripts. There's one company I worked for actually did this system management product that was for managing the availability of uh, Windows servers. And it was uh, the thing that really differentiated that product was that we pre-built the management scripts instead of giving our customers the capability to write the very simple, very obvious management scripts. Every one of our customers knew how to do these scripts. They knew what needed to be monitored, but our product just did it. That saved them some hassle. That saved them some angst. And it also meant that they are up and running right away. Very big differentiator. And we crushed our competitors with that capability. I mean, we literally, I mean, there's a lot of stories about this product that are all amazing because there was actually a period in time when we were not allowed to market this product. And yet we still outsold the nearest competitor even without being able to do any marketing. Quite amazing. This tool was so good that everybody wanted it, even though we couldn't really tell people about it. We could sell it, but we couldn't market it. We couldn't tell, and we couldn't lead with it either. It was very interesting. Anyway, 
a, a great example of putting knowledge in and having knowledge be pretty amazing. Let me now talk about um, an example that is, uh, I think, really interesting. So let me just make sure I've got the right screen up here. Yeah, so, oops, sorry. Here's another visual section, but I think you'll be able to follow along with no problem. What does this really look like? So this is an example. This is from the early 2000, uh, 2010s, the early 2000 teens. So back in the early 2000 teens, um, if you had an iPhone and you, you had a photography app, the photography app had a bunch of sliders on it. So if you wanted to take a picture and make it look better, you had to figure out where to move those sliders, right? This was every iPhone app. But then along comes, so there's, that, there's the, the sliders that you would have to, now this is a modern app. I didn't actually create this slide back in 2010. This is retrospective, so I couldn't find it in the old 2010 apps, but they were all like that. And then along comes Instagram. What does Instagram do? No sliders. In fact, there was no sliders at all. You had to, you, your choice was a bunch of expert, professionally designed filters. The difference between giving an amateur a bunch of sliders and giving an amateur a bunch of professionally designed filters is that the amateur feels like, oh, my pictures look a lot better when I use professionally designed filters. I'm going to use that. Now, this is not the only reason that Instagram really quickly dominated this space of pictures. They also had a really great approach to sharing. Again, they put a lot of knowledge in about how to share. How to share almost doesn't seem like knowledge, right? But it is, of course. If you if you make it so you can share with one push button, that's a bunch of knowledge that that somebody who's using this other app doesn't have to figure out. Well, am I going to put it up on Dropbox? If Dropbox even existed then, am I going to what file? How am I going to what? How big should I make the picture? What should the format be? You know, should I compress it? Should I make it this big? Should I make it that big? Instagram made all those decisions for you because they knew what the best approach was or they came up with the best approach and just asserted it. And then they gave you the filters. And even though in reality, most people, you know, only about 20% of pictures ended up using these filters, the filters made Instagram seem like it was taking care of the user instead of making the user do work that they didn't know how to do. So in one way, it's don't make me think, but really it's put some knowledge in so I don't have to feel stupid. And that's the flip side of this idea of, of help me think better. Because there's two aspects of thinking, right? There's like, well, I, I want to make sure I remember all the things I need to do. That's what a template helps me with. But there's also this aspect of somebody else knows how to do this already. Why do I have to reinvent it every time? Don't do that to me. Enable me to use some expert's knowledge. Don't make me use my own knowledge, which I don't have. It's very, very annoying to make me use my own knowledge. I have a guru. She doesn't really know it. Um, Kathy Sierra somebody who has written a bunch of books on Java and a great book on usability called, or not usability, but I think it's the best book on product management, actually. It's called Badass. I'll put links to that book, also the Steve Krug book and my book, of course, all the things, into the show notes. But Kathy Sarah wrote this great book called Badass, but she's also given these great talks, and I'll give a link to the talk, too. The talks are fantastic. They're the thing I recommend most. Of anything I recommend, any link I send, the Kathy Sierra link is the one that I send the most, besides my the link to my own book, because I'm self-interested. But the Kathy Sierra video, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. The point is, we are really focused on our tools as product managers, and we think about, well, how can I make my user better at using my tool? But the fact is, as Kathy points out, our customer doesn't really care about our tool. Our customer cares about what they're making. They're making some other thing. It might be a surfboard. It might be a camera. It might be, um, it might be some financial software. Whatever it is, they're making that thing. And what they want to do is they want to make that thing better. They want to make it faster. They want to do a better job of making it. And so what we can do 
And what we can do by including knowledge as one of the many things is we can make them, we can help them become better at doing their thing. There's another area where you can sort of apply this idea as well. And I talk a lot about persuasion. So I've got a whole set of videos about persuasion. I'm working on a persuasion course, how to be more persuasive in particular and giving sort of the types of business presentations that we give a lot as product managers, whether that's to our internal teams, whether it's to our executives, whether it's to customers or prospects, you know, sharing a roadmap, sharing a roadmap with an analyst, things like that. All of these situations where we have to be persuasive and where, at least in my observation, many product managers leave a lot to be desired. And so I'm creating this course on how to be more persuasive. And one of the fundamental things about being more persuasive is what's called pre-handling objections. This is also a thing that you do if you're doing sales. You address the objections that people are likely to have before they even raise them. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One of them, it goes back to this thing that we're, that I've been talking about, which is that in order to have an objection, somebody has to articulate something that they don't know. Like they have to articulate that, oh, when you describe that thing, it didn't answer this question that I have. But if they don't know that the, what that question was, if they can't articulate it, what they do instead is they just don't like you. They think you're terrible and they don't buy your thing or they don't fund your project. So you have to, as the presenter, as the person trying to be persuasive, put yourself in their shoes and think, well, what are the things that are going to be of concern to the different people in my audience, right? So if you're presenting to an executive leadership team, for example, there's going to be salespeople, there's going to be marketing people, there's going to be technical people, there's probably going to be a product management leader, there might be a CEO even, and they all have specific things that they are worried about. They don't actually care about some of those other things very much, but like the sales leader cares about, well, how am I going to sell this? How is this going to cannibalize sales of my of the products I currently have? How can I pitch this to my existing customers? Can I pitch it to my existing customers? Is it going to make my existing customers mad? Et cetera, et cetera. There's so many different possible questions. And as the persuasive presenter, you need to think about those and figure out the answers to those, ideally, before you present. And then as you go through your presentation, just in the, way that, just in the same way as, as if you're putting knowledge into your product, you're going to put knowledge into your presentation that's going to help address those objections that your audience is going to have. If you think, well, I know that I'm going to have some sales executives and they're going to be concerned about this aspect of selling this thing that I want to build. And so then you address that. How is this going to help the salespeople? How is it going to help them achieve quota? How is it going to not cannibalize other sales? How is it going to let them go back to do to existing customers and sell them more stuff, which is a super desirable thing to enable. So if you tell them that that's going to, that you're New idea is going to enable them to do that. They're going to get on board with you. If you tell them that they won't be able to sell it to existing customers, then they might say, well, that doesn't make me as happy. But you should, you should know in advance what you're, what you're going to tell them. Sometimes you don't, don't know all the objections. And one of the nice things about pre-handling objections is that can also help the audience start thinking more clearly about the types of questions they have. So if you are handling that objection of, can I go to my existing customers and sell this? Because that's going to be a that's a question that the salesperson might be thinking about, but not have articulated fully. If you can answer that, then they might then start have their brain thinking about, well, what about new customers? Am I going to be able to get new customers because of this new feature? And of course, you want to know you probably know the answer to that one, but they might also ask you some questions that you don't know the answer to, and that's fine. That's a whole other persuasion technique about how to handle objections that you don't know the answer to. But the point is that you help them think, and it's it's 
as a result helped get helped you get more information as to what you questions you need to answer in order to have a successful presentation. Pre-handling objections is a lot like putting knowledge into your product. It serves much the same purpose. It it relaxes the audience because they know that you've thought about their needs and you've given them some comfort that you are going to address their needs or that you're helping them in their in achieving their goals of in the case of a salesperson creating more sales or closing more sales or qualifying more prospects whatever it might be that's a way to think about that's another way to think about knowledge and i just thought that was an interesting sort of connection there let's let's uh, close this out a little bit let's think about what do you need to do to take action so one of the things that i always ask people is so what does your product do to help its users think better and make better decisions and how does your product help them it's great if there's more than just capabilities it's it's okay most products are just capabilities but the products that actually go in and actively guide people those often are more successful instagram was an example i have another presentation i'll have to i'll put a link to that as well where i have a bunch of examples of tools that provide some level of knowledge and they are very, very successful. And in fact, I would argue that the most successful products in the market are ones that provide at least some level of knowledge that their competitors are not providing. Um, some of the examples are, well, the I, I think the iPhone is a great example. So visual voicemail, I always use this example, visual voicemail, everybody hated voicemail. In fact, I have a Cisco phone on my desk at work. I basically don't give anybody my phone number on my de of my desk phone because I don't wanna have to learn how to use the voicemail. So I give people my mobile phone number because it's got visual voicemail. So if they call me, I know how to get the voicemail. I don't have to learn, like, press 7, then 3, whatever. And I don't have to remember a pin, all that stuff. To me, visual voicemail is an example of a bunch of knowledge that's built in. Obviously, not the only thing that made the iPhone successful, but it was one of the big differentiators when the iPhone first came out, was this, I, this sort of integrated messaging and visual voicemail, very powerful capabilities. Another thing to ask yourself, are there things that your customers are doing every day or that experts do every day that you could put into your tool? Well, I hope the ideas in this episode inspire you to put more knowledge into your product. Even simple knowledge, as I said, will really help your customers and probably will create differentiation uh, for your product from your competitors. Do let me know what you think of these ideas by going to alltheresponsibility.com slash 309 and leaving me a voicemail or a written comment. For more information and to find links to some of the resources I mentioned, again, check out alltheresponsibility.com slash 309. You can find links to my YouTube page with all my live and recorded videos. Don't forget I do that live video series on Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. If you want to join me live, it's always fun. Of course, the recordings are up there whenever you want to watch them. If you like the episode, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, like, subscribe, share it with your friends, you know, anybody who could use some tips on product management, marketing, innovation, sales, and persuasion. I think we all can get better at those things. Share it with them. And don't forget my upcoming course on the superpower of persuasion. For more information on that, uh, you can sign up to be notified when it's available and to get a little handout on some top persuasion tips, you can go to secretpmhandbook.com slash persuasion. So until the next episode, this is Nels Davis signing off. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition.